0: You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast and I'm your host Eva O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion and the future of work. This is the kind
1: of stuff that has been talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is not reading a book Aoife, this is taking a practice and doing it repeatedly and it having an impact on the quality of your life.
0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am your host, Aoife O'Brien, and you are very welcome to today's podcast. My guest today is Peter Connolly, and he's talking all about mental well-being, something of a particularly hot topic at the moment. In Ireland, we are currently in lockdown three. There's not really an end in sight. You know, I'm talking to a lot of clients and friends and businesses about the situation that we find ourselves in with not necessarily anything to look forward to. Normally this time of year, you might have a summer holiday to look forward to, for example. And this year obviously is very, very different. Myself and Peter uh, met each other through Common Purpose. So uh, we were on a Common Purpose program, leadership program together, and we stayed in touch since then. And Peter is a workplace and lifestyle occupational therapist. He has 16 years of clinical experience specialising in sustainable high performance, mental well-being and preventing burnout, something which I think a lot of people can really, really relate to, especially now. In January, Peter launched his very own program called Fit Minds, and you'll hear us referring to that throughout the podcast as well. It's a first online membership program of its kind, and there are two specific programs. There's Fit Minds Community with a focus on mental well-being and prevention. And the second one then is High Performance with a focus on sustainable high performance and mental well-being in sport, business and arts. Peter's background is he has worked in St. John of Gods Hospital in Ireland, in St. Patrick's Hospital as well, and he currently provides clinical input to the Dean Clinic as part of St. Patrick's Hospital, and he's a trainer in mental health first aid in Ireland as well. I really hope you enjoy this week's podcast. As always, I will do a wrap up and a summary at the end. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you will usually find me talking about the latest episode over on LinkedIn. So if you want to join the conversation, you are very welcome to do so over there. Welcome, Peter, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. We met originally through Common Purpose and uh, yes, brilliant to have you as a guest today. Can you tell me what's your background or would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Thank you very much, Aoife. I'm delighted to, to be here with you this morning. Well, uh, my name is Peter Connolly and sort of my background is I'm an occupational therapist and I've worked in the area of uh, mental well-being for, I suppose, the last 20 years, I would say, often working with people of all ages, really, but often now with busy professionals and supporting them with their mental well-being and managing uh, their you know, all the kind of things that they have to and want to do in life. We call those occupations, the things that we need and, and want to do. And I've, I've I've come from, you know, working in hospitals, clinical settings, uh, what we call treatment and recovery, and began to kind of start looking at, well, what what would prevention look like? Well, how could I work with people at a much earlier stage in their well-being journey? So about three years ago, if I, I took the plunge, And I went and I went independent. So now I run an occupational therapy service that's independent, uh, you know, outside the system, working with professionals in sport, business and the arts around mental well-being and prevention. So that's my kind of focus really at the moment.
0: Yeah, and that and that's that's really what we're here to talk about today. And I know there has been a lot of talk about this idea of not letting it get to that stage where someone needs treatment. So I'm really fascinated to learn more about what are the steps that people can take. And um, this idea of prevention rather than cure, or prevention rather than treatment, I think is is a really crucial discussion to have. So I suppose let's dive right in. And sure. like, what can people do or or what kind of steps can they take in order to better manage their own mental well-being
1: well i suppose one thing might be a a starting point like people know that the, the usual things of doing certain things like exercise and sleep and nutrition and that's all well and good doing certain things but sometimes we have to do things in a certain way you know we have to use what you know what is our superpower our mind the power of our mind, one, one resource that we've never really been trained how to use, to use properly. So when we really break that down for people, you know, it's about learning to use our attention through the day to get the most out of our experiences. So we transform these kind of things that we're doing into more nourishing experiences as opposed to more neutral experiences that we begin to become more aware of our inner dialogue, um, where we begin to kind of look at that sort of uh, narrative that we're attached to and speak to ourselves in a more compassionate way. That these are skills that we now know that can be broken down, uh, that we be develop a more flexibility with our minds and begin to stay connected to, to what matters. So, part of my skill set, if you like, even in, in how I work with people, I often use the skills of acceptance and commitment therapy. That would be my dominant sort of frame of reference. And, you know, what that really means is we're cultivating something called psychological flexibility. So in co- in everyday language, that means that I am uh, I make space and I'm aware of my inner experiences. And some of those are challenging things like anxiety, but I stay focused on cultivating a meaningful and purposeful life. So, you know, with everything that's going on at the moment, Aoife, with, with COVID and restrictions and working from home and juggling so much, it's like you know, how, within that difficulty, how do I, with all the juggling, how do I find space to connect to what matters? Who matters and what matters? And, you know, give myself a break and and speak to myself in a compassionate and supportive way. So these are all skills that really come from compassion based approaches, acceptance-based approaches, and learning to use our mind in a more flexible sort of way. So it's a bit like, going to the gym for our minds. We, we we need to break this down for people rather than just the, you know, therapy and, and going to talk about our problems. Being able to use our minds uh, throughout the day and get the most out of our experiences. So ho- hopefully that makes some sense, but yeah, it's about breaking that down for people.
0: Yeah, it makes absolute sense. And I love, Peter, what you said about this this idea of we've never really been trained to use our minds. And never. maybe something that you sort of take for granted maybe that it's it's your mind and you know how to use it but actually and, and you know we were talking before we started recording as well about using it for good ra- I mean I said evil, good rather than yeah, evil, but like good rather than bad I suppose um, yeah. or maybe not even labelling it in that way so you know I'd love to know I suppose how, how do you even get started so like let's say if I'm um, you know, I'm I'm working from home, I'm trying to manage um I'm trying to manage uh, this the um homeschooling or sure. I'm working from home and I'm living from I live alone and I'm feeling a bit isolated. Like what are like where do people get started, I suppose is what I'm trying to say.
1: Well, I think we can teach people particular skills, but we need to put it in context. You know, we need to put it in the context that there is a model for our mind that we can look at and to understand the nature of the mind. So we have to start with, you know, we know that the, the mind has an impact on, our, on, on what we do, you know, our self-image, the choices that we make, uh, our performance and things, but we don't necessarily have a model. So often we have to start from there, separating the difference between the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, um, and also some of these higher mental faculties that we have, things like our attention, things like our imagination, things like our will and reason. Um, these are all skills that can be broken down so then we look at that how do we kind of use that every day so for example with my attention you know whatever you know, wherever our attention goes you know feelings follow or energy flows is often it's said so whenever I'm doing something you know if'm I'm, if I'm taking a break for example if I'm, I'm having a cup of coffee I can be a million miles away. I can be doing something else at the same time. My mind can be quite fragmented and directed in all sorts of places. So I have to learn to bring my attention um, to the things I'm doing, but I also, you know, to get the most out of them. So Rick Hansen, a famous uh, neuroscientist talks about letting in the good. We have to let in the good. And how we let in the good is through our attention. So our attention kind of works like a spotlight. So we, what we focus on becomes more illuminated. But then it's registered as a positive experience. And then we activate it and then install it within the brain. So it's like we're using our mind to change our brain, to improve our mind and well-being. And those are all little experiences that we can be um, be doing all the way through the day. Or we might notice the fact, wow, I'm being really hard on myself or my mind is playing the what-if game. My imagination is running riot, where I have to begin to notice that. So it's like my attention and my imagination working together. They can, work to, they can work for us, or they can work against us. Because, you know, at the heart of all anxiety is imagination. You know, there are things that we're imagining that are going to happen. And even within therapy, that's sort of often underplayed and not really looked at. It's like we haven't really kind of connected the dots with that. So I think there's been a lot more interest now in terms of what we call third wave therapy skills where it's, it's not looking to change the way people are thinking, but it's looking at the nature of thinking and the nature of how that's impacting on what people do. So, you know, a lot of my kind of um, work with with clients is being able to see these opportunities every day uh, to build those nourishing moments, to, to use space, to have these positive experiences, but to feel the positive experiences, let that good in, so it has an impact on our well-being, and then we can be grateful about it, rather than it becoming a, a mechanical kind of exercise that we hear somebody on, on you know on, a, on, on somebody to it on, on various concepts that we come across. So it's very much um, doing things in a particular way, using the using these sort of mental muscles um, that are. That are available, and and the funny thing is, Eva, you know, I've been on a, I suppose, a journey really looking into this. It's built on obviously a lot of my clinical work. Most people notice, most people know that the mind affects our well-being, um, but they don't have a model for it. So even in even in the highest performance spaces in the country, uh, that's sort of underplayed. It's only we're only really dipping our toe into this. You know, we know it has an impact, but we're not really dedicating the time. Giving it the attention, giving it the investment, because I mean, we don't really because can, we can't see our minds. We can see our bodies, we can see our behaviours, but we can't necessarily see our mind. So there has to be a trust element to the fact that there is a there is a way of training it. Um, and I think that some of the research now is coming on board from these kind of third wave therapy skills, things like the mindfulness-based rest reduction, things like ACT, acceptance commitment therapy. These are all things that. People now can read, you know, this sort of information is out there. It's just um, making that a little bit, I mean, clinicians probably need to make that a little bit easier for people to navigate and get that information. And maybe how we deliver this information rather than waiting for people to become unwell, we should be teaching people at a much earlier stage in schools and universities. So when they get to the workplace, they've got these skills um, rather than sort of investing in it. Uh, we need to think of more of a big picture that we can use these skills and develop these skills from a very early age and I think that's what truth prevention looks like Um, and then we can you know we can begin to kind of see that to be more used and in a sort of everyday sort of context.
0: Brilliant thank you for sharing that Peter yeah really interesting and I suppose a couple of points um, sure. stood out to me. The first one is that it sounds like it is very similar to mindfulness, but is there a difference between mindfulness and, and, and what you just spoke about? The, the kind of first element of it, of kind of being a bit more present in the moment and bringing your awareness back um you know is is that the same as mindfulness or is this slightly different so i think
1: I think mindfulness you know is is really about developing that awareness through training our attention in a particular way. So I think there are certain you know one concept that I use is around having a fit mind, and you know attention is a core piece of that. so if we think about mindfulness, that has really led the way in in highlighting the the impact of our attention so But a number of other third-wave therapy skills are doing other things like compassion. So people were becoming more aware through mindfulness, but then were still being very hard on themselves. So the research was highlighting the need for more compassion-based work. And then also a a need to be more maybe psychologically flexible. And so there's been a a number of um, options or skills, really, that are kind of doing different things, but they're so kind of... They share a lot of common ground, but I think the way that we've del- we, the way that we've structured them, particularly within the clinical world, it's like you do one, then you do another, then you do another, then you do another. Where actually they share a lot of common ground. So why not why not have something that's a more hybrid? So I think in in more recent years, there's been this recognition that some of these skills have have a rigidity built within them and how they're delivered, but actually we can be we can be adapting them. And we can make them more, um, I suppose, deliverable in in school systems, in, in 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 recorded content, so it's more accessible, rather than having to do to deliver this, these kind of options in a more um, uh, kind of rigid way. So to answer your question, no, it is. It's very much part of mindfulness. So, for example, acceptance and commitment therapy has a huge mindfulness element to it. But both of them have about 30, 40 years research behind them. But only in the last sort of maybe 10 to 15 years, both of them have really come onto the kind of spotlight. Um, and mindfulness is definitely more well known within the mainstream and things like acceptance commitment therapy. But acceptance commitment therapy now is moving more into the kind of well being space, particularly around the high performance space. So there's this overlap between. What's good for performance is also good for our mental well-being, and these are attractive skills. Um, they're not necessarily therapy, so they're, but they're therapeutic, and they're finding themselves now in elite performance spaces like Premiership football teams, golf, tennis, um, a lot of solo sports, where I think if 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 we start hearing that our our role models and our, uh, the people we admire in life are doing these kind of things and they found a way to look after their minds. That makes it more um, engaging, maybe a more attractive option for younger people to do the same as well, that there is a way, there is a path that has an evidence sort of basis behind it.
0: And if, if I'm kind of hearing you correctly or even uh, sure. reading between the lines, um, mindfulness is maybe a part of this, but but what you're trying to get at is that it's more of a model and it's more of a cohesive approach, Um, a bit of a, a bit more of a step back, a bit more high level Um, and bringing everything together. But also that it's, it's, it's at the prevention stage rather than waiting to get to a stage where yeah. you really, really need help. It's about looking after yourself before you get there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um, so like the Mental Health Foundation in the UK have said that we can't treat our way out of the current mental health crisis. We need to deliver a different model. The model does have to be fundamentally changed. So, you know, if we're kind of stuck in our ways, if you like, as service provider and say, this is how we want to do things, it's going to be very slow. We're going to be very slow to respond to need. You know, we need to think, we, we know that there are certain skills that are helpful. We know that people need to become more psychologically flexible. How do you do that? Show them how to do it. We need to be more compassionate. We need to be more mindful and attentive. These are, and need to learn how to be more emotionally, uh, able to emotionally regulate. We know what these skills are, and we know that there are certain ways to train it, but we just need to be more flexible in how we deliver it. So instead of maybe one-to-one, it could be done in true recorded content, or a blend of recorded and coaching. That you could you could work with a, a, a kind of a larger number of people, for example, um, or you could you could do that more in in groups for people who are still well at a more earlier stage than waiting to for people to become unwell. And I think that's the that's that's where people are. I mean, it's not just people that are stuck; it's services that are stuck also. We know there's a need, but we haven't fully adapted to be able to um, kind of change, but even though we're still talking about it, we know about prevention, but what, what, what exists within prevention? Not a lot at the moment, to be fair.
0: I wanted to give a shout out to you, my listeners, for all of the support over the last year and a half or so since I started the podcast. It has gone from strength to strength. We have reached nearly 18,000 listens at this stage. So I'm absolutely delighted. I'm over the moon. I recently checked the podcast stats and in February, for the first time ever, I reached over 2000 listens for the podcast in any one month if you don't already know i'm usually on linkedin live every week there's no set time because obviously we're managing different time zones and things like that with guests but i am typically over there and i would very much welcome any questions that you have on the most recent podcast if you want to listen live you can also listen to the replay and you can let us know what you think in the comments over there as well If we're not already connected on LinkedIn, feel free to connect with me. You will find a link in the show notes below. You will also find a link on my website, happieratwork.ie. If you would like to connect with me, just mention how you know me and I'd be happy to accept your request. I have also recently been nominated or should I say shortlisted for an award from Digital Women for podcast of the year. And I absolutely couldn't have done that without you and your support. So thank you so much for the ongoing support. I really, really appreciate it. So one of the things that you mentioned that I, I would love to, to pick up on and kind of understand a little bit more is this idea that most people know what it is that they need to do. And this is something I've come across uh, especially in the last few months, I think people know what's out there and they know what they need to do, but they're really struggling with actually doing it. So that's kind of one element to the question, I suppose. And the other element is that you mentioned that they don't have a model for it. So I'd love to know, like, what is the model that you're proposing? Okay,
1: so so if we think about the first question, you know, what you might call the knowing-doing gap. You know, there are things that people know, but they're not doing. So, you know in my experience there's different there's different reasons why there's a knowing gap so i mean for some people we're just wired a bit differently you know how do we get ourselves um doing the things that we need to do how do we get focused on that so some some people need to to kind of um always alert themselves you know become more um uh, to rise up their attention and focus so we we call it the just right zone so sometimes we can be at low arousal where we procrastination is kind of ruling the roost and we're kind of in a bit of a slump. And we can't think away into that. We almost need to move or alert away into that where we can become um, more focused on what we're doing. So, that, I mean, that, that could be quite a big issue in, in in neurodiversity, things like dyslexia, ADHD, that kind of thing, uh, on a mild to moderate level. Um, we also, in terms of our minds, um, you know, sometimes we there isn't that, Maybe desire or the, that discomfort in the short term, because a lot of the rewards and consequences are in the future. So it's a bit like what's the difference between a video game and homework? You know, it's that the the rewards of the video game are always in the always in the present, and there's constantly kind of reward loops going on in terms of our mind, where we have to kind of almost self-organize and get this stuff done ahead of time. And that can be very tricky to, to do, but we've got so many other things competing for our attention. Um, I think another thing is just, our, you know, some of these unconscious beliefs that we might have, um, things that we hold about ourselves, things that we, we don't think it's, I mean, maybe we're capable of doing something, you know, that we, we need to look at some of these kind of beliefs within our subconscious mind. And I think for some people that can be a little bit tricky. How do we, you know, it's almost like to reach a, a particular set point; they can't get beyond that, or they they kind of do things and then they stop doing it. So, you know, part of it's persistence and consistency, and it's how do we how do we break that down for people? I mean, I think you know the kind the kind of work that I I would do with people or work with people around this. It's not something that we can simply explain in, in two minutes, but it's something that we can work on and we can have an experience. So. I can tell people this stuff, but it's one thing to have an experience themselves. Try out some things. So often we're, we're working with people in a way we we'll try out some things and give us some feedback and what it was like. So if I'm saying to somebody, um, you know, there's these zones of regulation where you might be more attentive, and if you actually move more often and you alert, you'll find you're able to to do you know, close that knowing doing gap, and we test it out. And then people think, yeah, it that really worked. I felt I was more engaged so I could I could get that stuff uh, done more. And then if we kind of move on to the second question, this model of the mind. And I think, you know, throughout, throughout history, there's, there's been different, there's different kind of metaphors if you like, that have used the mind, but essentially what we're looking at is that there is this conscious mind of things that we're very much aware of. And, you know, with the amount of things that we do, and the amount of stuff becomes automated, both physically and mentally, that sort of you know kind of seeps into our subconscious mind and becomes less, um, you know, less aware of it. But it's having an impact, and it's how do we how do we impact on it? So if I have a, a story or an image about myself that's holding me back from a mental health perspective or performance perspective, how do I begin to to impact it? That? And that's through space repetition, through imagery, through bringing our attention to to what we want out of life and what what we want our life to look like. Not once, every day. We that's that's the kind of inner gym work. It's not that we think about what we want, you know, once a week or once every six months or once when we see our therapist every couple of weeks. So. This is something we do in our journaling practice, or this is something we do in our uh, visualizing practice, or our imagery practice. That's the um, the the inner work, and this is the kind of stuff that has been talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years. From the Stoics, they had these kind of practices, and now in in modern, modern neuroscience, beginning to highlight actually a lot of that stuff, a lot of those theories a lot of that stuff that people were writing about you know, years ago, there's actually something in that. And, and now we can actually, okay, now we know it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's impactful, but it's, it's, it's breaking it down into terms of things that you practice. This is not reading a book, Aoife. This is taking a practice and doing it repeatedly and it growing in your mind and it having an impact on the quality of your life, on the image that you hold about yourself, in your capacity to move towards the life that you want. Content will only get us so far, but that's shelf help. You know, reading a book is not going to change your life. But implementing and practicing what the content of that book is on a regular basis, that could be a game changer. So, you know, it's that... It comes there a bit like going to the gym. You don't go and do, you know, strength work.
0: The difference day. between having a gym membership and actually going to the gym, maybe. Yeah. Is it? sure. <laughs> and yeah, I, exactly. I am definitely one of those people who, I read a lot of books, but um, I did, I think, become aware a couple of years ago that, I wasn't necessarily implementing. So I have all of this knowledge, but you're yeah. absolutely right, Peter, in this knowing-doing gap. It's uh, And I did a talk on that last year because I I could identify with it and I wanted to share my own experience of reading and reading and reading and not necessarily implementing what it was. And I having all of this knowledge, but not necessarily taking the action. Um, so I think that's that's a really, really good point. Um, back then to this model that you're talking about. So do you have specific steps in mind or, or what does that actually look like?
1: yeah so for 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 lifestyle awareness so i've developed a, a new model you know it's instead of working one to one i'm working more in, in a group in a more sort of i suppose it's more of a membership model where we can through the combination of recorded content and life coaching we can begin to practice some of this stuff to break it down so a lot of it would come from these skills of acceptance commitment therapy compassion based approaches that kind of stuff so people can over a 90-day period to try it out, but it's in the pursuit of uh, a goal and of the kind of occupations in people's lives. So I think having the accountability to support the inspiration of working in a group is really helpful. Having content that is broken down and repeated over a 90-day period is really helpful. It's focused on, you know, what you want. It's not therapy, it's not talking about not talking about your personal issues; it's skill building. So I think you know the model of prevention has to really start looking at mental skill building. Um, so my my attempt in terms of moving towards this in, in prevention and okay, let's you know let's see what's let's see what can be created in encouraging my peers and clinicians to kind of do the same. Let's see if we can move the kind of stuff that we know works in treatment and recovery and move it along the continuum towards early intervention, towards um, prevention. Um, so at the moment, you know, the only gig in town is online. So, you know, I've had to adapt and make sure that that way of operating is is kind of more anti-fragile and it can, you know, I, I've kind of built a membership portal to be able to house that um, that's all going live, really, in terms of um, the content model from uh, March. Uh, in the soft launch before that, with some with some clients just testing out the portal and stuff. But the content we know, we know what that that works, and it's it's so we're, we're clear on the 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 ideas and the the skills. But the delivery we want to make it really interesting. We want to bring other. We want to bring in other. Uh, Clinicians from master classes. We want to bring out stories of hope and people that have done really well, and people from sport, business, and the arts. So it's, it's. We want to make, you know, like for me. You know, I've I'm used to running well-being programs. That's been my bread and butter for the last twenty years. Um, I know what a program should look like. Uh, I've ran them in hospitals, and they've they've been all evaluated. So let's let's run it more now. It has to be online. And when things can become, you know, we can meet up again, then we can look at a more physical, um, you know, like a physical experience. But for now, it's going to have to be online, but we want to make it more interesting. So as an occupational therapist, I often work with activity as well. So we'll be using different kind of activities um, to get over that learning, those those learning principles. So it's not all just talking. We're, we want to give the client an experience. I think that's really key because we don't, we don't all need just loads of new ideas we just we need an experience we need to try things out have an experience and learn from that experience that's the key.
0: And what can people expect you've mentioned a couple of times about mental skill building does that kind of take us back to what we spoke about at the start in terms of some of those skills that people need to have or um, maybe you could just outline the kinds of things that people need to be aware of. Well I mean a, a lot of
1: it for example would be looking at like in terms of what i'm going to be focusing on is around learning to use our attention learning to use our imagination learning to be more uh, observing of our our inner dialogue and our um our compassion how do we how do we how do we practice that uh, so there are you know there are well uh tried and tested uh, practices from that world that we're just we're just bringing it together and so people can and try it out and find a way. Like not everyone can sit and meditate. But people can have a mindful experience in another way. So we're showing a variety of different ways to do it. Um, I don't know if that has answered your question, but I mean, I'm quite happy to explore that a little bit more if it's still a little bit more abstract.
0: <laughs> I think, no, I think what you've, you, what you've covered is, it's really interesting to me. And I think it, it does go back to this idea of people know, this stuff already, but it's giving them a framework essentially to yeah. be able to do it. It's giving them a safe environment to be able to try stuff out and to, and I don't like using the word fail, but like learning, let's say, from their experience about what works well for them versus what doesn't work so well for them. Would that be fair to say?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So for example,
1: in, in an occupational therapy program, if we're looking at mindfulness as a, as a skill that we're trying to, you know, like we're trying to promote that as an experience. We have to be able to show people different ways of doing it, through movement, through an activity, through meditation, um, and, and, and people connect with, okay, that's what works for me, or that maybe that's where I start. And then I can ease myself into the more still-based experience, rather than just trying one thing and then not working at it and losing my confidence, actually, I think there is another way in. Um, and so it's always finding you know it's trying to break it down what's going to work uh for you know various you know for various people um and being able to have a program that's flexible enough to do that and i think that the difficulty what a lot of the evidence-based um programs is that there is rigidity built within them so this is the way we teach it and if that doesn't suit you then Sorry. Yeah.
0: So it's kind of a one-size-fits-all approach, which doesn't work. No. Just <laughs> one one-size-fits-one. I think I had that conversation recently. One-size-fits-one or one type of person. But if you can, I mean, to me, it's it's all about having a framework in place so that people yeah. can follow specific steps within this framework to see what actually works best for them.
1: Yeah. But I guess the fr- framework that I was, you know, really kind of focusing on is how do we make it attractive and practical and accessible? And I think the idea of a gym, like a gym kind of framework, something you go and you, a bit like circuit training for your mind, you go and you do things uh, and you, you're shown how to do it, you're shown how to do it in different ways, uh, find a way that works for you, be able to adapt it to you. And then you think, okay, in my day-to-day life, this is how I can train my imagination. This is how I can train my attention. For five minutes. I don't have to carve out a huge amount of time. Just doing for like five minute little things that I can do and seeing if they're impactful. And if they're impactful, then I start getting curious. Okay, what else can I do? Or I found that I was able to to notice that anxiety in my body but still make that call or still move towards what mattered truly in my heart in, in what I wanted to do that day. And I didn't let it define my day. Uh, or I spoke to myself in a more compassionate way, and based on the kind of things that we that we covered, for example, that week, you know, if we were covering compassion, for example.
0: Yeah, no, that's that makes total sense to me. And dare I ask, just given that we have covered the topic of the knowing doing gap, like I think that's that's a huge area and that's a huge issue for people. Is that something that is addressed within the course? Yeah,
1: that's that. Uh, that's a regular thing. So at the moment, I'm recording content. Um, and for example, this week we recorded content on the No One Doing that. And I was speaking to a number of different um, professionals in that space, interviewing their perspective on this topic and trying to really kind of make sense for... Because I guess for different people, it's a different thing. Some people it's fair, some, some it could be it's the, it's the way we're wired slightly, yeah, there can be lots of different things that are impactful. So yeah, I think for me, the knowing doing gap is huge. Every client that I w- have worked with, I would say in the last, for as long as I have known about the knowing doing gap, it knows the stuff that we talk about.
0: Yeah, maybe even before then as well, Peter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I just didn't. I just didn't. Maybe call it the knowing doing gap.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. I call it something else. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to cover in and around this idea of mental wellbeing, especially I'm just conscious that we're in this very difficult time at the moment in Ireland specifically, we're in lockdown. Three people are, a lot of people are homeschooling as well, which is a real challenge. So they're trying to balance work and home and all of that kind of stuff. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or say in relation specifically to what's going on at the moment?
1: You know I mean, I think at the moment, like doing the very practical things, like activity itself, in having nurturing activities um, are very sort of, I suppose it's the it, it it's one of the most powerful routes to take doing practical things, you know whether it's you know, for example, I, I even decide, you know, for example, at the moment, you're know, making sure I'm going out for those for those walks but i stopped listening to content on the walks um, i'm trying to carve out space every day uh, to let that to let that good in and pay attention to the things that I, that i that i'm doing um, i think there's a lot to be said in trying to keep it trying to keep it simple um in, but we like variety so trying to mix things up a little bit uh, but you know instead of what we call top down which is sort of kind of think a way out of this it's more bottom up. It's more we kind of through behaviour or through practical activities, through breathing practices. They're all things that can be really um, supportive. But this is this is about getting through this period. Um, you know, the kind of things that keep us well are not no longer available. So we have to kind of adapt uh, and think very creatively. So we can see how we can. We almost have to reimagine. Um, the kind of things that really keep us well and find benefit in the kind of things that we might think for we might have taken for granted before and, and find the good in them. Um, and that again comes down to you know using our attention in, in a particular way. I think this is definitely a time to be compassionate to ourselves and, and, and other people, but I think that's that's kind of wearing thin. I'm meeting a lot of people who are very tired and struggling and, you know, very close to feeling irritable a lot of the time and struggling with things like sleep. So I think resting and nurturing as much as possible. I think we can overdo the whole Zoom and webinar model maybe a bit too much and having experiences. I think a very famous um, psychiatrist talked about the client doesn't need a new idea, they need a new experience. So I think we want to pepper these nurturing experiences through our day as often as possible yeah and and any struggle that we're having is often you know like we you know we we care where we hurt at the moment um and you know because some of these values or needs that we have are not being met and perhaps there is a you know, and a, a realisation of, you know, what are the things I need to keep going in, in my life? What are the things that are important to me? And kind of valuing them, but also valuing the interconnection of there are so many people that, um, you know, have are, are helping and we're, we're sort of helping each other. We're all sort of dependent on each other. And it's sort of recognising... Um, the value that other people are playing in our life, keeping the show on the road, whether that's you know it's filling the shelves in the supermarket, or, or the fact that that um, these that we are all struggling in different ways, but of course, it, it's it's recognising the good that's still out there because I think we can get very much lost and overwhelmed in everything that's missing and and uh, feeling a lack of hope, but bringing our attention back to. The incredible good that's going on, and generosity that's still there, and people still, um, you know, doing a lot to support people—people people that they may not even know—and um, we can find some some solace and comfort in that. But we have mm-hmm. to look, and I found myself increasingly since Christmas having to look harder. Uh, it has been more difficult, um, and but it's it's there. Uh, but you know to to let the good in, we have to look for it, yeah, and I think that's that's the hard bit at the moment because um we do have to you you know we do, we have to go looking that's essentially what and then let it in so yeah, I, I keep I coming back to those points,
0: yeah, no that's a it's a really interesting point, and I think. Yeah, if we can just focus on the good things that are happening, happening, and being grateful for that as well. So, really interesting points there. Thank you, Peter. And um, so, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, Peter, is, what makes you happier at work? Well, I think making a difference
1: has always made me happier, and the meaning of that—working with people—I'm um, definitely a people person, so that connection and the the meaning that I get in working with people to achieve the potential. I think diversity and creativity are two things that have um, have always been really important. Being able to work in a more creative way, the diversity of experiences. Of course, I've had to work harder for that to, to feel really kind of true at the moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, for, I think they would be the common things that for me that that bring work alive, and and, and, uh, whether that's face-to-face or online, Um, and I think that's still very much true. There is the potential for diversity, but there's the potential also for things to feel very samey, and I think for me that I've had to engage with that and be able to adapt and to, um, you know, through, through lockdown, being able to keep that keep that very much alive in my, in my experience rather than I can't do that now, I can't think creatively. No, I have to maybe nurture my creativity um, because it's still really core. It's a core need for me mm-hmm. and as a core contributor to feeling good about work.
0: And if people want to find out more about working with you or the course that you're, you mentioned, what is the best way that they can do that?
1: So, yeah, they can definitely reach out. Um, Lifestyle Awareness is the name of the uh, website, Peter at Lifestyle Awareness, connecting LinkedIn. Um, they would be the main, I mean, I'm, I'm on all the, the main channels, but, you know, just practically peterlifestyleawareness.ie.
0: Brilliant. Thanks so much, Peter, for your time today. Really enjoyed the chat uh, loved some of those lessons that came through as well. And especially talking about the knowing doing gap, just an area of interest for me, uh, especially. So thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Before I wrap up and summarise some of the key points that Peter and I discussed on the podcast today, I wanted to encourage you to visit the Happier at Work website, which is happieratwork.ie, all one word. And there you will find a few different things. So you'll find out more about the services that I offer. You will also be able to sign up to receive the podcast directly to your inbox every week. You'll also be able to listen to any previous episodes of the podcast that you missed back to today's podcast. So thank you so much for listening this far. It really is appreciated. One of the overarching themes or concepts for the podcast today was this this idea of psychological flexibility or another way of calling resilience really. We spoke about what occupational health really is and it's your occupation really is what you need and want to do. And it's all about treatment and recovery, but Peter poses the really interesting question, I love this question, what would prevention actually look like? And the focus is on various different areas such as exercise, sleep and nutrition and bringing it back to ourselves and our mind and being able to mind our mind and really focusing on where our attention is going, creating these nourishing experiences rather than just these neutral experiences. One of the areas we spoke about as well is thinking about who really matters in your life and what matters. And I think the pandemic specifically has brought this to the fore for a lot of people. People are considering what's really important. Who do I really want to stay connected with? Who do I want to stay in touch with? What do I want to do with my life, with my business, with my career, I really liked this idea of putting things in context, so understanding the nature of the mind and the impact that the mind has and being able to manage our attention. So sometimes we can be a million miles away. We're doing one thing, but actually our attention and focus is on something completely different. So it's this perhaps idea of mindfulness and bringing the attention back to the things that you're currently doing in the moment. And by improving our mind, we can improve our well-being. We do have a tendency to be hard on ourselves and it's really important as well to bring compassion to ourselves and to others as well. Thinking really about what works for us and what works against us and we can use our mind to work for us rather than working against us. Anxiety tends to come from when we have an overactive imagination. If we bring things back to an attitude of being grateful, an attitude of gratitude, and most people know what it is that they need to do, but they don't necessarily have the model for it. And that's when we started talking about this knowing doing gap. And this is something I myself am particularly interested in because I know, and Peter referenced this idea of shelf help. And I know for me personally, I love reading personal development books and there's always some really great exercises included. And I always think, well, I'm going to get back to that at some stage. And I got to a point where I realized I was just reading for the sake of reading and gaining knowledge and not actually applying that knowledge. So that's something that, that really rings true for me. So you know what it is to do, but there's something stopping you from actually doing it and taking action. And the Fit Minds program is a way for you to have that level of accountability, to know what it is you need to do, but to actually take action towards making it happen. We talked about some unconscious or subconscious blocks and beliefs that we have and trying to overcome those through experiences and through visualisation. So the importance really of repetition, of imagery, of thinking about what we really want in life. And again, this is something that has come up in various conversations recently about what does success really mean for you personally. We spoke about journaling and visualisation and how it's really critical as a part of managing your own mental health and well-being. We spoke about taking a practice and doing it repeatedly, so not just doing something as a once-off, but actually doing it repeatedly so that it has an impact. Peter spoke about building up this kind of mental muscle, like going to the gym, and it's being able to build those mental skills that you have. Another area of particular interest was this idea of observing the inner dialogue, and that is completely judgment-free. So you're not casting any judgments on anything you're just observing as an impartial person we spoke about keeping it simple so looking at it from the top down is trying to think your way out of things but focusing on the bottom up so going back to your body and breathing and doing activities as a way to really bring it back into an internal experience And that wraps up this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. Stay tuned next week for another great episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.